All right. Well, have you ever had a backstage pass? They're usually super expensive. Uh, you get the VIP treatment. Well, that's what we're going to do for you today. And guess what? It's free. And what we're going to do, uh, last year we did this series, Backstage Pass, and, and we wanted to talk about creativity, kind of in the spirit of South by Southwest. And, and we looked at how you are created by the creator to create, that you have uniqueness and purpose. And today we're going to look at a different type of creativity. We're, we're going to take you backstage to learn what it means to be truly great, to become great, to become the person that you were created to be. And in many ways, we want to take you behind the stage so that you can see the process we use to help people grow spiritually, how to create disciples. Now, at the top of the service, which was 8.30, old time, uh, 9.30, new time. You may have missed it, but the band did a song called Fame by David Bowie. And we wanted to contrast the world's pursuit of greatness, which is fame and wealth and power, with what Jesus actually says leads to greatness. Matthew 23 says this, The greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. 1996, I was uh, much younger, as we all were, if you were around then, and I had been helping plant a church in Seattle, and it was not going well. I grew up in Dallas, but my wife and I, after we got married, moved to Seattle, and, and it was just very tumultuous, a lot of challenges and struggles, and, and I went to a conference in Los Angeles at a church called Mosaic, and I met a man there named Matt, and him and his wife were preparing to move overseas. Uh, to be missionaries in the Arab world. And as I talked with him about our vision and our hopes and, our, and frankly my disappointments, he pulled out a scratch sheet of paper. And on that paper, he began to write out what I'm going to share with you today. It, he called it the character matrix. And I can tell you that it was transformative for me. It gave me the tools I needed to begin making progress. See, I was the victim of a whole lot of other people's bad decisions. That's the way I was viewing the world. It just was not going well in Seattle, and I couldn't believe how badly everyone around me was acting. But this gave me the tools to know my part to play in making progress and becoming who God created me to be. And so I went back for the next two years and really applied the character matrix to my life, and it began to really change a lot in me. And two years later, in 1998, we moved to be a part of that same church in Los Angeles called Mosaic. And I, and I went to the pastor who had created the character matrix. His name is Erwin McManus, and I told him how transformative the character matrix was for me. And, and for him, he's a very highly creative person. He, he created that and kind of moved on and created something else. And after years of insisting that this would make a really good book, he finally wrote one about this subject. It's called Uprising. If you want to dive even deeper than what we're going to be able to do in our short time together today, it's a great resource I want to point out to you. But this is a path towards becoming the kind of person that is great in the eyes of God. And there's this word in Greek that we translate as character, but it's also translated as 
moral excellence. And that same word is used in the passage I wanted to read to you from 2 Peter chapter 1. Listen to this. In view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence, of character, with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with patient endurance, and patient endurance with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love for everyone. This is not some random order. That actually this passage is telling us that the path be, uh, towards greatness in God's kingdom, in God's eyes, begins with faith, and it includes and leads to love. But these build on each other. There's an order about getting there. The very first ingredient is, is faith. And then we add to that a, a big dose of character, of moral excellence. And so with that in mind, I'm going to walk you through the character matrix. And, and you need to know this journey starts with selfishness, which can be described as being proud and foolish and greedy. But where we're headed and where God's calling us to be is to become a servant leader, which is characteristically a person of courage and wisdom and generosity. And so how do we get there? How do we move from selfishness to servant leader. There's a book that came out a few years back. If you're in the business world, maybe you heard of it. It was called Good to Great by Jim Collins, where he did this in-depth research on businesses, and he was trying to figure out the difference between a good company and a great company. And one of the things they discovered is, of the great companies they could find, they had what he referred to as level five leaders, the highest level of leadership. They're the type of leader who actually was more committed to the organization than to their own notoriety. And he gave some contrasting uh, results. There was a guy named Lee Iacocca in the 80s. Some of you might remember Lee Iacocca. Well, he was a level four leader because his notoriety, I think the name of his book was something about how great he was. But a great leader of the 11 level five leaders, only 11 that they could find in the last 100 years in America, none of them had written an autobiography other than one who had written one called I'm a Lucky Man. You see, a, a great leader, a level five leader, he says in his book, Good to Great, could also be referred to as a servant leader, someone who's more committed to the good of the organization than to himself. And actually... You could make a case that the greatest servant leader of all time was Jesus. The creator of the universe has come and walked among us and listened to what he says about himself and what's said about him. Matthew 10, 28. The creator of the universe walking among us and says, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. God became a servant and gave his life for us all. Philippians chapter two says that we should have the same attitude as Jesus, to humble ourselves, to be more concerned with the good of others. And it actually goes on to say that Jesus made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Have you seen God in those eyes? Do you realize that God became a servant to serve us? that we might become who he's created us to be. I'm gonna take you down this 
first journey. And my hope is today that, that as you see, and it's on your lanyards too, um, this, the path, that, that you'll start to think in terms of a, a specific struggle. We talked last week about generational sin passed from one generation to the other. Uh, you can specifically think of one area of your life that you want to overcome and, and look at it through the framework of the character matrix. And, and first, we're going to look at this journey in having a new attitude. Now, let me just ask you, let me show you here. This, this journey begins with pride. How would you define pride? Just say it out loud. Ego, say it again, another one I heard. Arrogant, arrogant right? So when we think of pride, there's arrogance, there's ego. This, it's this idea of thinking more highly of yourself than you ought to. But there's another type of pride, and that's thinking too lowly of yourself, having a low self-esteem. And in both instances, pride, in its essence, is thinking too much about yourself. And the path out of pride is humility. Humility is being committed to follow and to serve another person. Listen to what the scriptures say, 1 Peter chapter 5. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. See, what I've found in my life really proves what this passage says. See, there are times in my life where I am overcome by, blinded by pride. I'm thinking about myself, either more arrogantly than I should or more lowly than I should. But in essence, I'm thinking about myself. And the only path out is to choose to humble yourself. Now, there's another way out of pride. You can choose to humble yourself, but there's something else that can happen to us that can help us get out of pride, and that's to be humiliated. I prefer to choose to humble myself. What about you? That's the better path. But right when you start to think too highly of yourself, there often are things that will happen to remind you, oh, that's right, I'm not as cool as I think I am. And so the path out of pride, out of selfishness, out of thinking about yourself actually begins by committing to follow and serve another person. It's actually this commitment to move out of selfishness. And what begins to happen is when you are committed to follow and serve another person, you actually become a great follower because you're committed to help someone else. And as a result, what begins to happen in you is you develop integrity. Integrity, a person of integrity is able to be trusted with followers. See, what is on the outside matches what's on the inside. See, God makes everything with integrity. I mean, when you go to the grocery store and you buy a banana, you're not actually buying a banana. Did you know that? You're buying a banana peel. You trust that on the inside there is a banana. <laughs> and you trust so much that you actually plunk down money to get it. But you're actually buying a banana peel, but see, God makes everything with integrity, and on the inside, you are rewarded with a banana. Now, unfortunately, in the midst of the freedom that God has given us, people are not always the same on the inside as what they say they are on the outside. Often we say the right things, but inside the darkness is winning. And that's why when we begin to 
commit ourselves to following someone and helping them succeed, then we can be trusted with other people because all of a sudden when we have influence, we are no longer in it for what we can get from them, but we're in it for what we can help them succeed and discover. And so when I was in Los Angeles, I remember somebody coming up to me and saying he wanted to start a small group because he needed an audience to teach. That's not someone you entrust other people to. And so I encouraged him, if you go to a life group and, and there's eight people there and they're all there to have their needs met, how many people's needs could be met? None. But if all eight go saying, you know what, I have a lot of needs, but I'm going to look for someone who's needing an encouragement. Tonight I'm going to meet the needs of somebody else. All of a sudden those eight would come with a heart to serve and you know what, they could not only meet the needs of everybody already in the group, but they have enough energy to meet the needs of those who might visit, those who might come. See, someone who wants an audience cannot be trusted like those who are willing to serve. And we see this over and over and over in history, but also in the scriptures, that those who are willing to serve and become great followers actually make the best leaders because they're in it for what the organization needs to accomplish. Maybe you know the story of Moses. We've been talking about him the last several weeks. Do you know who followed Moses as the leader of the people of Israel? Anyone know? Joshua. It was not Moses' son. It wasn't his daughter. It wasn't his brother. It wasn't his sister. It was none of the elders of the people of Israel. The person who became the new leader, following in the footsteps of Moses, the one who freed the people, was Joshua. Do you know what Joshua was doing the first time he's mentioned in the scriptures? It says in Exodus chapter 24, verse 12, Joshua was Moses' assistant, his aide. See, when Moses looked around to find someone he could trust, someone who was more committed to the good of the people than his own good, he knew he could trust Joshua. He'd seen him serving faithfully. If we are faithful in the little things, Jesus promise, promises that we can be trusted with more, which leads us to courage. When we become a person of integrity, we can be trusted with followers, but a courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is actually the absence of self. You care more for the people around you, so much so that you are willing to lay down your life and sacrifice for them. You, a person of courage is the type of person who takes the blame at work for a colleague's decision. A person of courage is the one who stays committed to their spouse even as they go through a difficult time. A person of courage invites a neighbor over to find out how they might serve them pray for them, to hear their story, and when the time is right, share our story to help them along the way. A person of courage, my favorite definition Erwin gives in this is this one. Courage is not the absence of fear, it's the absence of self. So often we are so self-involved, self-interested that we cannot become the courageous person that God wants us to be that can only happen in the context of becoming a servant, servant of others. Well, let me walk you through the second journey. The second journey is from foolishness to wisdom. Now, a fool, a foolish person makes the same bad choice repeatedly. Now, I know it's been a while since you ate, I hope, because I'm about to read one of the grossest verses in the Bible, describing the fool. See, a fool, it says, 
Proverbs 26, is like a dog who returns to its vomit. Yeah, I'm sorry, but it's in the Bible. And you know what the dog does when it returns to its vomit? Yeah, that's disgusting, yeah? And yet, there are things in our lives that are destructive, that actually are hurtful, harmful to us, and we go back to them, and we go back to them. See, the fool is stuck in a pattern of destructive decision-making. And the path out is faithfulness. Faithfulness is making the right choice no matter how small it may be. And inevitably, you, you have that same New Year's resolution year after year after year, and then in the new year you decide, you know what, I'm going to start a whole new way of living. And it may be working out. This year, this is it. I'm going to get healthier. I'm going to work out. Faithfulness is doing the right thing no matter how small it is. But then you have to develop something called perseverance. Perseverance is doing the right thing no matter how small it is and no matter what. Because inevitably, you start going back to the gym, you're going to get a cold. You're going to catch the flu. You're going to tweaking a bicep. There's going to be something that happens that keeps you from moving forward. Perseverance is doing the right thing even when we don't feel like it. Doing the right thing even when it's hard. Rob Overholt, one of our executive pastors, has this great quote. He says, most people don't do great things because most great things don't feel great when you are doing them. See, most people don't do great things because most great things don't feel great when you are doing them. See, if we begin to do the right thing, even when we don't feel like it, we begin to free ourselves rather than being hostages of how we feel. We can actually move into freedom. There's a great quote from Recovery that says this, you cannot think your way into right action, but you can act your way into right thinking. See, when I mentioned last week my grandfather, whom I love, and yet so many of his struggles I can see in me. And part of the path out of those struggles was learning to take the foolish behavior and replace it with the right behavior. See, the scriptures are interesting because it uses this phrase over and over and over in the letters of Paul as he's writing to these new believers and these churches across the Roman world, and he says to them to put off the old way, to put on the new way. See, I don't know about you, but I grew up in a religious context in Dallas, and, and we were taught, almost every week it felt like was a message on sin management. And when you're trying not to sin, when you're trying not to do bad things, you're actually keeping it at the forefront of your mind. Let me give you an example. Anxiety runs rampant in my family. And have you ever tried to talk yourself out of worrying? I need to stop worrying. Don't worry. Don't worry. Whatever you do, don't worry. Well, the last thing in your head was what? Worry. You're literally moving it to the front of your mind. See, the scriptures say to put off the old and to put on the new. So instead of anxiety, you replace that with peace. And so in my life, the struggles I mentioned that my grandfather had, that, that I've inherited, some I have completely overcome. Some I've made incredible progress, and others, by God's grace, one day I will overcome. Whatever the area in your life, if you can target that, and by the way, if you're not sure what area you need to work on, ask the person you came with. <laughs> They'll help you. 
But when you realize what it is, then look at the scriptures for the antidote to that, to really develop that. Focus on who you want to become, doing the right thing no matter how small it is and no matter what. And when you do that, you actually become a person who is wise. See, people who are wise look like they have this supernatural ability to like predict the future. But in reality, a person of wisdom is actually someone who can connect cause and effect. They can see if you make this decision, then this will be the result because in their own life they've seen it. For just a moment, I want you to think of the wisest person that you know. Think of the wisest person that you know. Just out of curiosity, as you're thinking about that person, is that the wealthiest person? Is that person really wealthy? Raise your hand if the wisest person you know is really wealthy. Okay, just a couple of you. How many would say, you know, the wisest person that's come to my mind is really educated? They're highly educated. All right, maybe a few more that time. How many of you say the wisest person you know has healthy relationships? Raise your hand if that's you. All right, a lot more hands. See, wise people can connect cause and effect. They can see this decision will lead to these results. And, it's a re and as a result of that, they actually can navigate relationships better than most of us. See, the second journey is moving from foolishness to wisdom. And the third journey is moving from greed to generosity. This is all about a new perspective. If the first journey was a new attitude, the second journey is a new habit, the third journey is having a new perspective. See, greed, greed is all about demanding more, about needing more, feeling like I deserve better. And here's the thing about greed. You can't feed greed to get rid of it. You actually have to starve greed. Greed is like a monster, and then the more you get, the more you still need. It never is ever satisfied. So the path out of greed is called gratitude. Gratitude is being thankful for what you have and not mad about what you don't have. Another great definition Irwin gives us in the book Uprising. Gratitude is being thankful for what you have and not mad about what you don't have. Now, I was part of Mosaic for almost 13 years, and I had a chance to see Erwin and his wife, Kim, raise their children. And actually, his daughter is the one who wrote the song, Tremble, we sang a little earlier. She's all grown up now. And watching them raise their kids, they did something maybe we could learn from. Whenever I'd see his kids run up in the midst of whatever meeting we were in or conversation we were having, they would ask for, you name it, I want a CD. Or I want to go to a movie. A CD, by the way, is the way we used to listen to music. And, <laughs> and they would come up and, Dad, we, I, I want to go see, you know, go to the movies. And he would always ask them this question. Well, Aaron, Mariah, what do you deserve? And they hated it when he would do that. I could see it in their eyes. They would roll their eyes and just say, the answer they were supposed to say, nothing. I deserve nothing. Now, can I please go to the movie? It was trying to inspire gratitude, that everything we have is a gift. Well, a friend of mine who had seen the same parenting style decided to implement it in his own way. His name was Sebastian. And I was visiting with Sebastian, and his son Sammy, who was about four or five years old at the time, comes running up. And he's like, Daddy, 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 can I have some candy? And Sebastian says, not, not now, Sammy, just a minute, I'm talking with Eric. But Daddy, please, please, can I have some candy? Son, not right now. But daddy, please, right now, please, can I have some candy? And Sebastian looks at Sammy, four or five years old, and he says, Sammy, what do you deserve? And Sammy looks dejected and says, 
death and hell. <laughs> oh my goodness. Kind of took it next level. I don't recommend that uh, for those of you who have kids. But it sure does change your perspective on candy, doesn't it? I mean, what do we deserve? We don't deserve anything. And as we looked at last week, every good and perfect gift that we have in our life is a gift from God. And what if we can develop gratitude to be thankful for what we have, overwhelmed with the good gifts that God has already given us, and not mad about what we don't have? Well, when that begins to happen, we actually become people who are whole. Wholeness is a way to describe those who can give more than they receive. They, they give more than they receive. And they, they're not demanding more. They're actually trying to, in every relationship, just give a little bit more than they require to receive. And what begins to happen is we become whole. We develop generosity. See, generosity is an ability to give without worrying about receiving. It comes from the word genos of noble birth. It's a realization that we are children of the king of kings, the one who owns a cattle on a thousand hills. And we can give generously knowing that God will provide for us. Well, I, I, I wanted to interview one of our own leaders who's actually been through a, pro, a program we call our Leadership Development Program. And near the beginning, we introduced them to the character matrix. And she leads us so well every week. Would you give a hand for Hannah Ojeda? <laughs> Hannah. I think she's coming. Here she comes. Give her a hand. Here she is. All right, Hannah. So you were part of the leadership development program uh, where the character matrix was introduced. Could you just tell us, uh, how have you seen the character matrix overall impact your life? My project for him. <laughs> there it is. Yep. Anya, there yep, we go. Yep, there okay. we go. <laughs> um, so I think the biggest thing for me was that we talked about it a little bit is that my idea going into this of what leadership is because of the world we live in was completely backwards from everything that was then taught to me because Jesus came to demonstrate servant leadership and that, you know, to. Um, just lay down your life for others. And so I was taught, you know, like if you want to be successful, if you want wealth, if you want power, all these things that you have to work really hard to get it for yourself because no one else is gonna look out for you except for you. And so coming into this and seeing, um, I think the most challenging part for me was the pride part. And I think because I had this idea of what that looked like, that it was um, ego, like we've talked about, and um, but learning through that that Pride is not just um, thinking too highly of yourself, it can also be thinking too lowly of yourself, and that it's really just the preoccupation in your mind of self. And that when I get into that, it robs me of my compassion for others, which is what God created us um, to do. He created us to serve and love others, and he came to demonstrate that type of lifestyle. And so um, I think that's been one of the biggest impacts in my life, is seeing that like the example of Jesus, that he could have come just as a man and skipped the whole childhood thing, but instead like he chose to come as an infant who was helpless and innocent and um, to go through that, that he always 
humbled himself. He always came to the lowest place. And like we see an example again of um, when he, um, before the Passover, gets down on his hands and knees and he knows that one of his closest friends is gonna betray him and he still chooses to wash his feet in this act of um, love and servitude. That if I can watch that example, that there's no job that's too lowly for me, there's nothing that's beneath me or that's, um, there's no one who um, isn't worthy of my love and time and service. So, Thank you it. so much, Hannah. Thank you. It's great. Excellent. See, sometimes the path that God has for us, we can only get there on our knees. I, I want to walk you through one little last kind of wrinkle in this. You, you see out in the lobby our, our giant mural. And, and it's our core values, but it's also a, a path towards becoming who God's created you to be. And it fits perfectly with the character matrix. Let me, let me show you. Come as you are. This is the human condition. Pride, foolishness, greed. All of us, this is a struggle. And come as you are means there are no perfect people. And, and, and what that means is we want you to just be honest with where you are. When we are honest with where we are, we're in a position to where we can move forward. When we're in denial or when we pretend, we are not able to move forward. See, it's pride and foolishness and greed that keeps us stuck. But the next is live connected. And it's in serving others with others. That, that we develop relationships, we develop responsibility, and we have the opportunity to humble ourselves and to become faithful and even grateful along the way. And on your little backstage pass, you'll notice on one side it says, are you casually attending? Well, maybe that's you and you've been coming for a while and maybe your next step is to go through Starting Gate with Tamara Tate and find your place to serve along the way. Or maybe... It's to be transformed. Maybe you've already been serving and your next step is to jump into a life group, a place where we're intentional about spiritual growth. That's where you develop integrity and perseverance and wholeness. And then the next stage is change your world where you exhibit courage and wisdom and generosity. And it could be if you're already in a life group, talking to your life group leader about being commissioned being part of our commission core. These are the women and men who give of their time and their tithe and their resources, their energy to keep moving us forward. Or maybe it's joining one of our GO teams, going overseas, serving with us in Haiti. There's all sorts of trips that you can jump in and be a part of to change your world or serving locally along the way. There's one more passage I wanted to I'll read to you. It's this interesting moment. If you're familiar with the people of Israel, they, there was a temple in Jerusalem. And the temple represented this intersection between heaven and earth. And there was actually a place in the temple called the Holy of Holies, where the, only the high priest was allowed to go, and only once a year. And it was there that, that he would do the rites to bring atonement for the people's sin. And I've heard stories that they would tie a rope around his ankle the high priest, so that in case he goes in and something were to happen, if God were to show up and he were to die of a heart attack, they could just pull him out, that no one else would have to go into the Holy of Holies. And something miraculous happened. There's this curtain that was separating the people from the Holy of Holies, from, from the place representing God's presence. 
But upon Jesus' death, listen to what happens. And when Jesus had cried out in a loud voice on the cross, he gave up his spirit. And at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split. See, Jesus gives us all access to the creator of the universe, a backstage pass to the one who loves us, the one who pursues us. And maybe for you, your next step is to entrust your life to God, to confess of your need to be forgiven, that you need him to be your leader. And so what I wanna do in this moment is just create the space that you might have the opportunity to consider just maybe one thing, one thing that, that you know has been an, a source of pride, the bad kind of pride, the kind of pride that keeps you from moving forward. Or maybe there's something in your life that you've just struggled with. You've been a fool. You keep going back to that destructive pattern. Or maybe it's something that you've been greedy about. I just want to, in this moment, with the music playing behind us, just invite you in your own seat, in your own heart, to take this moment to confess to God, in your own heart, what you need to give to Him, what you need forgiveness for. So just in the moment, just if it helps you concentrate, just feel free to bow your head or close your eyes and just connect your heart to God. Use this as a moment of honesty and confession. Heavenly Father, in this moment, I just confess we need you. God, in our lives, there are real blind spots of pride. There are idols or habits that we go to when we're stressed instead of going to you. There are things in our life that we are pursuing that are not what you want us to pursue, that we've been greedy. So God, as you not only forgive us, as we ask for forgiveness, would you give us the courage to become people willing to serve, to humble ourselves to serve? People who are faithful in the little things, no matter how small. That we might be people who are grateful, thankful for what we have and not mad about what we don't have. That we might become servant leaders, women and men of courage, of wisdom and generosity. world needs us to be these servant leaders you've called us to be. Give us the courage. Help us become just that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.